big news, sports fans. This is Game Day with Matt Cause and special guest host, Mike Hogan. The place for sports. On TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Welcome back to TSN 1050. This is Game Day. I'm Matt Cause. That's Mike Hogan. But the fancy intro. That's what, right. Why are you, you have a really... Big smile? Yeah. Okay, let's just get to it. Okay, let's okay, get to like it. John McClain, by the way, former Devils head coach, yes. a- analyst for the NHL Network, is going to join us in a couple minutes. Tyler Dello from The Athletic will join us in half an hour. And I guarantee, he, by the way, I can make John McClain smile. Okay. Guarantee. All right. That's, that's, a, that's a good guarantee. Tyler Dello joins us at 1030 to explain why Morgan Riley is a number one defenseman and why the loser point is not, in fact, the loser point. Well, it is. Well, he that's make for a very interesting conversation. But... The big story, or one in the last night, the Leafs' 5-2 win over Columbus isn't mm-hmm. just the fact that the Leafs now are in third in the Atlantic. I mean, that's the big uh, macro. But during the game, the Leafs had a five-minute penalty that ended up being a basically seven-minute penalty because Mike Babcock forgot to put a player in the penalty box. There was no whistle. Yeah. So for a minute 54, the Leafs were really scrambling. Yes. Which led to Mike Babcock after the game saying, my bad, saying this... Oh, I tell you, I'm doing better now. Can you just imagine if you had done that? And you know, we laughed on the bench, but there's, uh, you know, it's all my fault. That eventually led to us giggling at the first part of Mike Babcock's answer, which was this. Oh, we used that over and over sure. to start the show. Oh. And if you missed it, uh, go check out the podcast. Uh, I'm not going to say we beat that joke to the ground. But we did. Yes, we did. And now let's take it to the next level. Here is a bit of a mashup. Here is a bit of a mashup from a classic scene from a classic movie. A listener wanted this, so we have delivered. Here is Mike Babcock meets Office Space. I'm thinking I might take that new chick from Logistics. Things go well, I might be showing her my face. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That wins. (laughs) All of the lame jokes we had at 9 o'clock. That wins. Oh, that was fantastic. Good job, my technical producer. Which which list? Did they leave a name or was it just one of those nameless nameless texts? No, that no. We get? Okay, can you can you um can you just vamp for the next thirty seconds or but, so? No, you don't have this in front of you. How much? Oh. <laughs> we can listen to that thirty or forty times. Hey, who's the one who screwed up earlier? But with the Maple Leafs, are I did tonight? absolutely. Yeah, well, full ownership. Yeah, well, it's a little salt in the wound there. It's, it's going to take me a second. How could it possibly take you a second? Because how many notifications do you get? I get lots. I'm very popular. All right, I can't find it, but we'll give the okay. Okay. Oh. <laughs> screw yeah. that up. Could you find it? No. <laughs> um. With John McClain, we got to ask him, that has he ever seen that in all his years? Um, you know, played just uh, played over 1,200 total NHL games, if you include the playoffs. Hell, played over 1,300. Uh, was an assistant coach, won a Stanley Cup as an assistant. Um, you know, had a brief time coaching in the NHL. Did he ever see that? Well, actually, we'll start with that right here. John McClain, former Devils head coach, um, uh, now an analyst for the NHL Network. First, beyond anything else, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, John. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Have you ever had that where during a penalty, 
You pulled a Mike Babcock. Have you ever been a part of a five-minute penalty kill that actually was a nearly seven-minute penalty kill because you never put anyone in the penalty box like what we saw last night between the Leafs and the Blue Jackets? No, I, I don't think I can't recall me ever being a part of that. So um, possibly could. My memory's not great, but uh, you know what? You got to look at it as a positive. The, a lot of things are going the least way, so you gotta you gotta say, hey, you know what? Keep riding the keep riding the uh, wave that you're on. Do you see any comparison with this team and your '87 '88 Devils? Well, <laughs> I would like to think that we were. There's a comparison that we were as good as Nylander and good as Matthews, but I don't think we were. But, but we, just as a, you know, we, you know what I mean, you know though, what? as a yeah, young team. I, that... I, know exa- I know exactly what you mean, and you know what? Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of similarities. You have, um, you know, they're going on this run here. No one thought they would, but, you know, he, that's a credit to, you know, the staff that they have in place. I mean, Brendan and Lou and, and Mike, I mean, they're all, they're all winners, and, um you know, one thing you know I always say about Lou, he he does he does take care of the details for for these guys, and and um, he can he knows how to finish when there's opportunities there. He knows how to uh, make everything around them concentrate on hockey and let them do their jobs. And they seem to be enjoying the process right now, and it's uh, it's fun to watch. I mean, they're a great hockey club, and um, I think the experiences that they're going through now are only going to benefit, benefit, benefit them down the road. And I think if they get in the playoffs, it's going to be uh, a little bit gravy to their uh, rebuilding process. And I, I think they're in great shape. So it's, uh, it's exciting and things are looking good for them right now. I should, I should point out that I promised I would make uh, you smile before this. And for those who don't remember <laughs> that 87-88 team, you needed 17 points in your last nine games to get into the playoffs. And you were tied with Chicago. You go to overtime. You were eight, or sorry, seven zero and one in your eight games prior to that. And then this happened. Playing Sutter, Sundstrom, Sundstrom, back to the point. Joe Sorella, Sorella got in. Sorella takes a shot, saved by Pink. Rebound! They did it! They did it! The Devils make the playoffs for the first time in their history. John McClain, the overtime goal. When you hear that, what goes through your head? <laughs> Well, I, I giggle all the time now because we're getting a lot of playtime out of that, especially when I see Panger, like Panger's on TV as well, and we see him, poor Panger, Panger's like, oh, God, we got to watch this again. I kicked that rebound right out to you there. It's right there. But, you know, a lot of great memories. Um, Joey Sorella is coaching the OHL and the Sault Ste. Yeah. Marie. So, um, you know, a lot of great members. We had a great team, and it was just one of those fun runs there. And, and the one tie, would everybody forgets the one tie, Bobby Sove played so good in Buffalo to give us that tie, and it was just that extra point that we needed to uh, put ourselves in. But we we did a lot, made a lot of, got a lot of wins. And the and the other part was, you remember back, uh, and I remember that um, the Leafs weren't in the playoffs at that point. They didn't make the playoffs that year. They had a they had a uh, contest who who the Toronto Sun or the Toronto Star I can't remember we were going to cover, and it was the phone in phone in to see who you want to cover. There was no internet at that point, yeah. so and Toronto picked us to cover. Uh, the, they picked us to cover for the uh, the playoff run. So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> John McClain played over just around 1,300 games, mostly, of course, with the New Jersey Devils. Won a cup as an assistant coach as well. Coached the Devils as well. Uh, join us here. You mentioned Lou Lamarillo, and one of the sort of stories that I think is underreported is when Lamarillo was hired. 
People were wondering about it considering his age in his early 70s. And so far, he I, don't, I, don't, I can't really think of too many mistakes. Everything has worked out fantastically. And I'm just wondering for yourself, not that you think this is a shock, because clearly you don't, but this is remarkable that Lamarillo going over to Toronto, new team, new culture at this age, and is still doing his job at the top level. Yeah, yeah, careful with the age here. Try and keep up with him. Uh, he's, he's in tremendous shape. He's, he's so focused on um, what's with the team. Everything's about the team. And I think, as you see there with Toronto going through the process of rebuilding, Shanny, I, I call him, I should call him Brendan. I, I call him, refer to him as Shanny as the old <laughs> teammate. Yeah. But uh, Brendan's done a tremendous job there, and he brings the right people in there. And he knew Lou. Um, they've talked a lot and uh, from their relationship in New Jersey, and he knew he had the energy and uh, the passion for this for this game and, and to to rebuild and and I think that you know with him there and the experience that he has, um, I mean, there's probably not a lot that Lou hasn't seen in the game or been through, and I think he's able to um, you know deflect a lot of the. Um, the outside noise from this team to just focus on hockey. And you can see with the moves that he made, you know, the biggest move I think is, you know, right off the bat, he goes out and gets himself a top-notch goalie. And then, you know, just li- they live with Anderson there. He adjusts, he does a great job. And now they bring in the, um, the veterans to help out. I think Brian Boyle's uh, starting to show, you know, pay off there. Not, not so much in, in points, but just in how the, the guys approach it. You see, uh, you know, He's been there before, so a lot, that's where I see the similarities in how Lou's building this team and surrounding um, these guys with, uh, you know, character and, and allowing their talent to uh, take over. It's interesting to see uh, you know, Lamorello and Shanahan up top after a goal because, you know, Shanahan's <laughs> now to the point where he'll at least do the fist pump, and Lou, is, <laughs> Lou, you don't know if they scored or were scored on. Uh, but, no, he just auto, he doesn't, never changes his emotion but, as but far I, as... I want to ask you about Shanahan, though, because I mentioned that 87-88 team. That was his rookie year in the league. He was an 18-year-old kid. You've known him for a long time. At what point did you realize that he was going to remain in hockey after hockey was over? Because 18, was was he was he a really mature 18-year-old kid, or was he a bit of a wild guy back in the day who has subsequently matured? Because you guys had a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I've known Muller for a 1,000 years. We grew up in Kingston, right? So I know how much okay. fun you guys had. It always comes back to Kingston. It always, it always does, and you know that. As a schwa guy, you know that. I but, know that. <laughs> but 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 at what point did you see Shanahan, you know, maybe being managerial material or a coach or just doing something after hockey was over, still with the sport? Yeah, you know what? You could almost tell right from from the get go. Uh, Brendan was very. He was a mature eighteen year old, but still eighteen. He liked to have fun yeah. like everybody else. But you could see how he carried himself, and then just throughout his career, very uh, very thoughtful of how he how he went about his business and. Um, you know, I, I you could just see that the the intelligence and the hockey smarts that he had, and I, I think it was just uh, you know uh, automatic that he was going to do it. And you know, I think the transition from him player going into you know player safety um, and and running that so successfully, it was just going to be a um, automatic that he would get into the game. And um, you know, Brennan's very thoughtful in how he approaches everything and. An understanding of the game, and, and and no different than you know, guys win, you know, guys win cups for reasons because they're they're able to put the team first, and I think that's something Brendan's always done, um, 
from a day, his days in London through New Jersey, St. Louis, Detroit. Um, I think he understands, even being a great player, that he knew what it take, uh, took. He was a great teammate, um, always stood up for the guys on his team, but, uh, you know, also was a, a talented Hall of Fame-type player. So I, I think it's a, it was a seamless transition for him, and, and the understanding that he needed help in that situation and, you know what? When you when you need help, he, the availability of the best the best people in the business were available, and uh, he, he he's confident enough to, to go out and get that. He could have certainly surrounded himself with other people, but he understood that um, for the job at hand, especially in Toronto, um, he needed the he needed the the best of the best, and he was able to go and get him, and and wasn't shy about um, you know or w- worried about that they. Uh, maybe two big person, two big personalities. He he would be able to handle it and work with them for the uh, ultimate goal, and that is for them to, at some point, uh, challenge for a Stanley Cup. Which is starting to feel the Leafs not this year, but the you know the acceleration in terms of getting to that goal seem to be just rising with every day. Joined by John McClaney on TSN 1050. So John, I'm I'm looking at your uh, your career statistics. And I uh-oh. see. Oh no! Don't go. Uh oh! You played over thirteen. <laughs> you played thirteen hundred games. There is no uh oh. But I see five years where you played eighty games. I see ninety eight, ninety nine with the Rangers. You played eighty two games. That's a lot of games. The NBA right now is dealing with the issue of resting their star players, and and science and analytics are saying it's a good move because it can help keep players healthy for the playoffs. And Greg Popovich, maybe the greatest coach in the history of the NBA, he's the guy who spearheaded it. And what I wonder is, how come we have not seen this yet in the NHL? If smart people advocated in the NBA, the NHL also plays 82 games. The NHL is a more physical sport. How come we've yet to see this at all start to emerge? I mean, you know, you coached for so long. You played for so long. How come we haven't seen it? Yeah, you know what, and, and it's, a, it's a good point, and, and I'm sure, I mean, we remember back, I believe Bobby Clark used to take a little time off so he could get uh, recharged uh, for the Flyers when they were going through their playoff runs, but I think hockey now, especially, um, you know, basketball is a different sport, there's five guys, there's six guys really you're worried about on the team, so you, you kind of back them off, Hockey's much more of a, you know, there's, 10 to 15 guys on the team um, that you have that are contribute night in and night out, uh, so that are your top players now. So to sit one guy, I think you may see it, but it's not going to be two or three at a time. You just can't. I just don't think he can do that. And I think the coaches now manage the ice time a little better as far as who plays. You're not seeing guys. It's, it, it, it is a four-line league now. So, I mean, guys don't the forwards don't get that 22 to 25 minutes a, a night ice time. So I think, you know, I, I'd, I'd understand it if maybe they, they took a couple of the guys would take a day, a game here, a game uh, there off. But um, as, as me personally, as an athlete, I'd sooner play than practice. So I think they give a lot of practice time yeah. off. You know, yeah. you know that's, that re- that's really what it comes down to. I think the top players just enjoy playing. Playing's fun and and I think that's why they they don't uh, really they don't want to get out of the rhythm of playing playing the game. And I think that's why the hockey guys are a unique breed, and they just like competing. 
John. They, they get the opportunity. Yep. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Before we let you go, and again, joined by John McClaney on TSN 1050, um, how much of it is it is it a badge of honor among players to try to play all 82 games? Well, I, I think it's a huge. I, I mean, from my era, it was huge. I mean, you never wanted to come out of the lineup. You would play whether your knee was good or bad. If you could get out there and, and uh, lace them up, it was a badge of honor to get out there any possible way to play in the game. And, and, and I still, still think to, to this day that um, a lot of the guys really uh, take pride in the fact that they're able to compete night in and night out. Um, I, I, you know, I think these, I think that's why the hockey players are, are such a special breed. I mean, whether you're cut on the face or, you know, the only, the thing now and, and probably and rightfully so like the concussions or, Mm-hmm. Um, keeping guys out if they get headshots. We didn't know that as much as we do now about it, so that's probably a good thing. But I, if guys if guys can get out there, if they can lace them up, they want to be out there um, all the time to compete, and that's that's a great great thing for our sport. And uh, hopefully that continues with these guys. That's what makes the uh, NHL players unique. John, thank you so much for joining us. And Hoagie was right. He guaranteed he could make you smile during this interview. (laughs) And playing that goal, that famous goal of yours, I think certainly accomplished that. All right. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Thanks, John. Appreciate it. Yep. John McClain, former coach with the Devils, played 1,300 games, NHL network analyst. And the the reason I wanted to make that comparison to that team, specifically with the Leafs, it was was such a fun team to watch. Mm -hmm. And I ran into Kirk's dad in Kingston. Ed Muller, the late, great Ed Muller, mm-hmm. one of the nicest men you could possibly meet. And he said, we're watching this playoff run. They're, they keep winning games down the stretch, and we're all going to this bar to watch the games on the satellite, mm-hmm. right, yes. back in the day. Back in the day. You had to go somewhere to watch the game. So he said, you can come. We want you to come. But if you if you come and they win, you have to come to the next game. So it became a thing where it was friends and family members taking over a bar oh. in downtown Kingston. So it was a fun team to watch. I remember it vividly. But you had this young team. You had Muller, mm-hmm. who was a 21-year-old centerman, yeah. great two-way centerman at a very young age who scored 37 goals in the regular season. Oh, who does that remind you of? Exactly. Austin you had an Matthews. 18-year-old Brendan Shanahan, mm-hmm. right? Kid comes in, high profile, getting his feet wet. Pat Verbeek's 23. Um, Bruce Driver's 25. Patrick Sundstrom's 25. Johnny McClain is 22 that year. Sorella, 24. Tom Curver's 24. Claude Lazell, 24. Sean Brick, the goalie, is 20. They've got all of these kids, 24 and under, mm-hmm. on this on this team that goes on a run, upsets the Islanders in the first round, upsets the Capitals in the second round. They play the Bruins. They get into the have another donut, you fat pig series <laughs> with, the, with the Bruins yeah. and end up losing that one. There are a couple of wins that went away from the Stanley Cup. It was an amazing run. And I watched the way that the Leafs have just gone through this last month gearing up this young team that really doesn't know what the hell it's doing. And I mean that as a compliment. They're just out there playing. There's there's something that's reminding me about that specific New Jersey Devils team. Yeah, it's it's a great comparison. And look what the Leafs have done over the last four games, getting seven out of eight points against Boston, Columbus, uh, Tampa, and Chicago. Which it's been a great run. stuns me. Yeah. It just stuns me. Um, we'll get into a little Leafs in six words. That is coming up next. Also, Tyler Dello from The Athletic joins us at 1030 to explain why the loser point is not a loser point, which should lead to some bickering with Mike Hogan. <laughs> it's a loser point. And and Morgan Riley conversation as well, all right here on TSN 1050.
TSN 1050. This is Game Day. I'm Matt Cause. That is Mike Hogan. Hello. I'm debating your Hoagie. I'm doing some live producing. Shouldn't you have done this on the break? I know. I was all set, but I might change my mind. Leafs and six. Better question. Shouldn't Tyler have done this during the break? I know. I know. This is on Tyler. But As he just... said, this was him. This was not me throwing him under the bus. Okay. I'm going to go to Tyler Hunt, our producer of the show. By the way, I should mention Tyler Dello is going to join us in about six minutes' time. We will talk about Morgan Riley, who he believes is a number one defenseman, and the loser point. Not really a loser point. It is. Well, from uh, T- Tyler Dello from The Athletic will join us. Um, t- um, Tyler Hunt, Leafs and six. Or bash Ian Kinsler and talk Marcus Stroman from the WBC. I'm sort of torn between the two. Um, I'll let you be the deciding vote on this. First of all, I liked your Tyler to Tyler segue. Yes, there. Tyler nice. on Tyler. Yes, nice, uh, nice theme. Yeah. Uh, let's go WBC. I haven't got into it. You've been teeing it up. Ian Kinsler. Yes. Here is his quote from before. The United States took on Puerto Rico, and the United States won. Their first time winning the WBC. Marcus Stroman had a no-hitter after six innings, and that is fantastic for for Jays fans. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're nervous because of arms and other pitchers have been hurt in the past. But this quote from Ian Kinsler, because one of the big stories has been how much Puerto Rico and all these other teams are celebrating, and they're fun, and there's a lot of energy. And they had a parade before they played in the final. It's great. They went home. They, yes. had, they had the T-shirts and hats all ready to mm-hmm. go. And all these media guys are, are loving it. Uh, Tim Kirkshen yesterday was, it was his first thing out of his mouth while talking about the WBC. Not about the upcoming game, but just the energy. Yes. Quote from Ian Kinsler. I hope kids watching the WBC can watch the way we play the game and appreciate the way we play the game as opposed to the way Puerto Rico plays or the Dominicans play. That's not taking anything away from them. That just wasn't the way we were raised. They were raised differently and to show emotion and passion when you play. We do show emotion. We do show passion. But we just do it in a different way. Okay. I bleeping hate that quote so much. I hate when we see players, and this is in baseball, when they're the ones, they're the arbiters about what's the proper way to celebrate. They're the joy police. You're playing a game. And I think the main thing I hate about this is what this leads to, and we see this in baseball, is a guy hits a home run, he's happy, and then the next time he comes to the plate, the pitcher throws a 95-mile-per-hour fastball at him, and his only crime was he was happy. But it's, we're talking about the that, – but that happens on the islands as well. Pedro Martinez is probably as well-known as anybody for doing that, mm-hmm. putting a guy in his rear end after a home run. Yes, or, I hate that culture okay, in but, baseball. But I'm just saying that's part of the culture. That's just not an American thing. I don't think in this country, if you're a hockey fan, you can complain about what Ian Kinsler said because what Ian Kinsler said – just blanket statements hockey. You're not yes. allowed to have fun. Yes. I hate it as well. I hate all Agreed. But I'm just saying there's a lot of indignation from this side of the border when it's it's completely contradictory. The most fun I had going to the World Baseball Classic Games in Toronto was sitting among the fans from Venezuela. Why? Because it was a different experience. They had the bells going. They had the cowbells going. They were singing during the game. It was something I had never experienced before. I'm, and they had a I, blast. Yes. I get jealous watching them. I go, yes. oh, look at that. If you ever get an opportunity to watch, and this is the closest thing we have to it, but just watch, if you can find it anywhere, a game from the Caribbean World Series. Mm -hmm. It's insanely entertaining. Yeah. For that reason. I like the fact that there are different cultures. If If the Americans think this is a part of our culture, like Canadians do about hockey, fill your boots. Mm hmm 
And he's not saying it's right or wrong. He's just saying it's different. And 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 he's right. It is different. Um, but the fact that he says, I hope kids watch well, the way we play. Yeah. No, no, no. That is Kinsler sure. saying what the Dominicans and yes. the Puerto Ricans are doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the point where people go, uh-oh, is this a, is this a racist comment by Kinsler? I don't think it is. But first, here's Kinsler after the game, sort of walking back. Where he hit a home run, by the way. Where he hit a home run. Backed, Wa- up the, backed it up. Yes, but here's him kind of walking back that statement. I don't know if they're just trying to stir some stuff up, but for me, everybody's got different styles. We see it in this tournament. That's why this tournament is so beautiful. You know, we see the different styles from around the world. Obviously, Puerto Rico, Dominican. You see Japan, the way they play. I mean, this game's a beautiful game, and, and we get to see it on the world stage. It's awesome. See, I think he's like, uh-oh. My initial statement there it could be perceived as racist. Sure. As I look at it as him not liking not the culture of these countries, but the culture of celebration. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The idea of, hey, everyone can celebrate their own way. I'm fine with that. My problem is, is when you condemn a way of celebrating, sure. especially you're condemning joy and emotion in a game. That's the way we do it, so it's right. Yes. That's what he's saying, and that's yes. where I can see people perceiving that as incorrect. But when I see that, I know we've got to go. I think that the WBC, if they can just figure out the way to do it, can be, and I, I'm, I'm not a soccer fan, but I'm envious of the World Cup the way it is. This can be such a great tournament because there are differences in the way that different yeah. countries approach the game of baseball. And I, I just I hope it gets there. I don't know how they do it. I hope it gets there because it Boy, it could be a great turn. I feel like I missed out on the WBC. Awesome I didn't year. watch it. Uh, I feel like I missed out. And what I'd like to see in the regular season is obviously you can't have that level of celebration, but I would like to see more of the emotion of Puerto Rico and Dominican and less of the Ian Kinsler way. There we go. That's for me. Um, Tyler Dello joins us next to be a bit of a hockey contrarian. That's going to be fun. <laughs> Welcome back to TSN 1050. This is Game Day. I'm Matt Cause. That is Mike Hogan. Morgan Riley is not a legitimate number one defenseman. Not even close. The loser point is a scourge on the game of hockey and needs to be eliminated right now. Joining us from the Athletic TO, which, again, I'm going to pimp out that site. It is fantastic. Everyone should sign up for it. Uh, For our jobs, we are content Monsters. We just like to devour as much content, and the athletic does a good job of that. Feed the beast. Yes, exactly. Um, the same way you can get great stuff from TSN.ca, from newspapers. I highly recommend the athletic. Joining us to debunk those myths because he wrote about it is Tyler Dello. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us back on the show, sir. Hey, no problem, guys. How you doing? Doing well. So I'm going to quote you um, about the loser point. You write right. the counter argument is this. The loser point doesn't exist, no matter what big hockey and the mainstream media would have you believe. Well, Tyler, as I am a very important member of the mainstream media, I have to say, explain yourself, sir. <laughs> sure. Well, it's, it's a pretty simple argument. Um, you know, for, we, had, we had hockey for 100 years before they came up with the loser point. And everybody kind of got used to the idea that you play a game, and uh, at the end of the game, they hand out points. And what happened, you know, what happened with the change that the NHL made, I guess, in 1999, and then and then expanded in 05, is that um, instead of instead of handing out points at the end of the game, they started handing out points at the end of regulation. And if you think about how it works, like you know, if you play 60 minutes and you're tied, you get a point. And at that point, you play for another point. 
And so my point is that the loser point isn't really something that exists. It's a way that the NHL kind of accounts for it, um, but it doesn't really explain what's going on. So what you know, when you look at the standings and they show a loser point, what they really should show is wins, loss, ties, and regulation, and then how many bonus points do you earn uh, after 60 minutes? And and that's you know it, it's a conceptual thing, but you know my approach is more in line with what's actually happening than the way the standings are. Whether we want to term it a bonus point or a loser point or a sympathy point or however you want to frame it. Is it not, though, the dumbest rule in all of sport that you do not know what the value of a game is before it starts? Yeah, I don't like that. And, you know, it's something that I've, uh, you know, I've, I've written about. It, you know, it distorts the standings. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it, it seems to me like it should be sort of a fundamental principle of sports that all games are worth the same amount of points. And so, yeah, no, it, it's absolutely a no-brainer to me. Now, what I also don't like is that it, it's amazing how sort of the way that people talk about sport is impacted by the information that's available and how it's presented. And you'll see people talk about, oh, this team, you know, they're no good. They're just making it because of a loser point. When really, a lot of the times, what's happening is it's a team that's actually had pretty lousy luck in overtime. They've gone overtime a bunch, and they, they've lost a bunch. And under the, you know, the way the information is organized and presented, it looks as if they're just piling up a bunch of points by losing. But what's actually happening is they're, they're not actually collecting a lot of bonus points in overtime. Or are you rewarding a team for playing conservatively in the last five minutes to make sure they get the bonus slash loser point? Oh no, that that absolutely happens, and it's you know like it's, it's people like, you know it's, it's easy to kick coaches for this. I don't know coaches this, coaches that. Coaches respond to the incentives that exist. And, you know, there's a lot of good data that suggests that, yeah, you know, when you get to the last five, ten minutes of the game, particularly if it's, uh, you know, the East versus West and there's no impact to giving your opponent a point, um, everyone's happy to just sort of say, okay, we'll take the point and then we'll go play for the, for the next point. And, you know, it's, it's hard to blame the league for that. It's, it's just sort of these things evolve over time as coaches respond to incentives. But for me, it's kind of at the point where, making the regulation game worth three points, um, you know, would probably go some way to encouraging teams to play more aggressively in the last five, ten minutes. And it'd be fantastic if they if they did that. It's a debate that's going to continue on and on. Tyler Dello from The Athletic is joining us. And by the way, um, your boss, actually I don't even really know if he is your boss, James Myrtle, his most recent piece is him saying, yes, the Leafs are probably going to make the playoffs. Is he tempting fate there? I don't think so. We did a panel, uh, James and I, a few weeks ago, and uh, James was bearish on the Leafs making the playoffs at that point. And I was pretty comfortable they were going to get in. Um, I think the Leafs, like every year, like, like and this is with the changes that the NHL made as far as uh, you know the point system, it, the standings kind of they get disconnected from reality because there's more sort of randomness and chance injected into them. And, you know, I, no matter how you look at it, I think the Leafs are probably better than the record. So I'm not surprised that they're going to be, it looks like, they're going to be one of the teams that manages to, uh, you know, power into the playoffs. And if they can get into that three spot in the Atlantic, they've, they've really had, a, had themselves a heck of a season, I think, and they put themselves in a great spot to, you know, maybe do something in the playoffs. Tyler, from a, uh, an analytical perspective only, what's the most underappreciated aspect of this Toronto Maple Leaf team, whether it be a team stat, whether it be an individual stat that, in your opinion, just isn't getting enough play? 
Oh, uh, that's a great question. Um, I think it's probably for me. It's, it's you know just how good the power play's been overall, <laughs> and, and you know it's something that I've written about before. But I, I've just been really impressed with uh, the fact that the Leafs have two units who can who can score goals, and and in particular, um, you know, I know that the the big names like Austin and Matthews and uh, William Nylander are on that. You know, people call it the first unit. But it's really impressive to me how good that, that second unit has been. Uh, and I think that's probably a tribute to the coaching because, you know, they, they do put the most talented players on the other unit. But they've really got a second unit, and I'm calling it the second unit. I should call it the first unit. Sure. But that Kaji unit um, is, just, is just phenomenal. And I, I think it speaks to, you know, the job the coaches have done, kind of assembling the, the right pieces in the right spot and then putting them in a position to succeed. Tyler, I want to uh, go again back to one of your columns, and you're smarter than me, so how I like to do this is I cut and paste a statement that you write, and then I read it out loud, and then you make the listener smarter. So let's do that again, this one about Morgan Riley. Quote from you, Despite what some are inferring from his career plus minus, there is plenty of reason to think that he's a legitimate top-pairing defenseman. This, of course, is about Morgan Riley. So, again, explain yourself, sir. Sure. Well, to start with, you have to understand a little bit about how Mike Babcock coaches. And he's one of the most aggressive um, matches in terms of putting a specific D up against uh, the best forwards on the other team in the NHL. And this goes back to time Detroit. And you can see this in the data. Like, he used to do it with Nick Lidstrom. And, okay, fine, you got Nick Lidstrom as the second-best defenseman ever. Yeah, Absolutely. But when Lidstrom left, like he kept doing it. He went with Cronval and there was, I think, Donovan Harrison. And those guys became his matchup pair. And when he came to Toronto, he really elevated uh, Morgan Riley into that role. So the first point on that is that Morgan Riley has probably played the toughest minutes of any defense in the NHL over the last two years. And I don't think people necessarily appreciate, you know, just the extent to which Babcock puts him into the, into the wood chipper. So that's, that's the first point. The second point is, from a possession perspective, uh, he does really well. Um, when you look at, when you contrast him with other guys who play minutes like that, like there's two guys who are better than anyone at doing it. Uh, when I've looked at Chara and Lidstrom, and he'll say they're, you know, both probably top 10 defensemen of all time. But outside of those guys, Riley stands out pretty well. So the reason that Riley's plus minus is so bad, like over his career, it's kind of been a few things. He played on a pretty bad Leafs team his first two years. And then the last two years, the Leafs have had trouble putting the puck in the net when he's on the ice. And I don't think that that has much to do with him. So, I, you know, that'll hurt your plus minus, but I don't think that's necessarily due to any failing on the part of Morgan Riley, which leaves the safe percentage. And he's just getting killed there. Um, every, every time he's on the ice, just everything's going in. Now, that's just something that happens to defensemen. And, it, you know, every, everybody seems like they all, you know, at some point in their career, they have a year like that. And there's probably a mix of things that contribute to it. Like he was playing with a bad angle, the ankle looks like for a while this year, which, you know, makes defending harder. And so there's probably just a mix of factors that have gone into it. But from an analytical perspective, it's not a good thing to bet on continuum. The so other bet. Sorry. Uh, one, one line. What you're left with is a guy who is, um, you know, able to play against the best. You know, the least basically are 50 50 in shots when he does it. And the stuff that's hurting him in terms of plus-minus isn't likely to continue.
Another bad plus-minus on the Leafs this year is Zaitsev. Uh, the eye test tells you that he's a lot better than a minus-20 player. Analytically breaking it down, is is he an, a minus-20 player, or is he better than that? I think he's probably better than that. And, it's you know, it's it's it's, it's funny to say that. Like, I, I know sometimes, um, you know, you'll see a guy and you go, he's better than this. And a lot of the times when that happens, you go and look at the shooting percentage when he's on the ice and the face percentage. And you see, oh boy, well, he's just getting smoked there. And it's something that's really hard to do because it's hard to look at, you know, like Riley was on the ice for two goals against again last night. And if you watch those goals, it's hard to figure out what Riley should have done differently. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's just, you know, some years the number just comes up over and over and over. And, you know, one of the reasons I like analytics is that, you know, it lets you go look at some, you know, detailed, concrete information where you could say, yeah, you know, yes, he's minus 23 or whatever. But when you look at what's going on underneath, there's, there's no reason to think that this is you know, really a problem with him and there's reason to be optimistic for the future. And so, you know, in Riley's case, I do think in the long run, he's going to be just fine. And, you know, he's probably uh, just fine as a top fan guy. Tyler, do you promise your next column will be how the Leafs will never have true success until they name a captain and why momentum is the only <laughs> thing more legitimate than the plus-minus statistic? Uh, that's not really what I'm in the business of providing. But uh, come on, if they, lose, if they lose two in a row, I'm sure you can find someone somewhere. Tomorrow no, no, I want no, no. I want you to. It's a higher degree of difficulty. When Mike Babcock is doing to Morgan Riley by giving him the toughest minutes, I'm giving to you. I want I want that column at the Athletic. Oh, I I, I can't do it. I try to write what I believe. So <laughs> so I, I make no promises, but Howard. I don't think I'm gonna I don't think I'm gonna have to uh, worry about it because I think the Leafs are gonna uh, put it together and get into the playoffs here. All right. Thank you so much for joining us again. Fantastic work between you, Fitzgerald, Myrtle, Alter, and everyone else name at dropper. at the yeah that, yeah Dave Alter. That's a good one that's, for me for being a name dropper. Um, that's it's great at parties. Oh, you know Dave Alter. Uh, I've oh. used it for years. Let me buy you another drink. Uh, thanks so much, Tyler. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> That's not my name dropper. No, you went through the Yo, entire hold on, roster. Hold on. You're the name oh. dropper. How many times have you been mentioning you and Kurt Muller are like best buddies in, in, in the mythical land yes, of Kingston? It. It, it is. Oh, Kingston. Uni- unicorns aplenty. Unicorns aplenty. Never snows. Just you and Muller and the whole it's family. Plus thirty-seven degrees in Kingston today. It did is. you know that? I did. Maybe Jamaica, but it's it's it's, it's yeah. plus thirty-seven. That was a horrible joke by you. Thank you. That was. I don't know if you should get fined for that. I don't pay fines. Not by you. All right. Well, maybe by David Alter. Bad joke by you. I won my Pro-Line Best Bet ticket yesterday. Will I win two in a row? Hells yes, I will. And I'll show you how next on TSN 1050. A tweet from Christine Brennan from USA Today. Yes. Remember the uh, conversation about the women's hockey team in the United States? Yes. Boycotting because they get paid like, you know, 1500 bucks a year. Mm Mm-hmm. The revenue for USA Hockey, and this according to the tax return in 2014, $41.9 million. Mm-hmm. The women get from the hockey team, they get $1,500 a year. Here's where it gets interesting. The U.S. figure skating revenue, $17.9 million. So about three times one-third the amount. Mm-hmm. The skaters get 50000 a year. Okay, but... I'm not saying, that's the, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all on that one thing, but... That is a pretty damning stat. And I don't know this. I don't know this answer. So let me throw this at you. I don't know if there's a breakdown anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
But of that, what did you say the American hockey budget was? 41.9 million the revenue they made. Okay. How much of that is generated by USA Women's Hockey? Um, Certainly not 50%. No. I would say under that. Sure. Yes. And that's where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. Right now, I love my one of my favorite events in the women in the uh, in the Olympics is the women's hockey game, mm-hmm. the the gold medal game. Yep, there's a hatred between the teams. It's great. There's a rivalry, and the Olympic gold means more to the women than their male counterparts because the men are going to go home after the win or loss and play for the Stanley Cup. Yeah, which is probably higher on most people's depth chart. For the women, the Olympic gold is everything. Aside. From Canada versus the U.S., is there any no. reason to watch women's international hockey right now? Nowhere near as much. No, no there's no. not. No, the, the the women's game, uh, gold medal game, is my favorite moment of Sochi. But you're right. Uh, but those numbers. The other, the other countries game. around the world have to raise their game to mm-hmm. compete, or it's just going to be uh, a coronation. We had one. I think there's only been one Olympics where I think a Swedish goaltender stood on her head and the Americans couldn't beat them. Yeah. Other than that, we know it's going to be Canada and the States in the gold medal game. No other game matters except for the World Championship game, and that. And it's a, and, and that is it's a good. Count. How do how do you raise money? And I'd love to see the women make tons of money. Tennis is another great example, right? Mm-hmm. Where the men make substantially more than the women in most cases. Why? When women's ratings, in a lot of cases, are higher than men's ratings. Yep. Depending on who the athlete is. I did, this this women's thing right now, the hockey, I'd love to see them make more money. But are they generating any? That's the question. Yep. I think they probably 1500 a year feels a little... Oh, it does, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't realize until the last couple of weeks that it was that low. Yeah. So, which doesn't make any sense at all to me. Yeah, I don't believe in a... Like that, it should be all based on what revenue they generate, but it feels that it is low. Yes, it's, um, it's definitely low. There's no question about that. All right, I'm a bad host. I shouldn't have introduced the topic because I need a little time and we're heavy. I will do my pro-line best bets next, and I guarantee you, you will win $97 if you take my pick. 97 bucks. Come on. Yes, I'm giving you giving you a little taste. Ninety-seven bucks. I won yesterday. I will win again. That's coming up. Josh Lundberg. We talk Raptors. We get back into the Leafs and their big win over the Blue Jackets next.